he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for taking time to join us as we take time to learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. I'd like to read for you today from James chapter 5, starting at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Uh, oftentimes, when I gather with people, I have the opportunity to ask about prayer requests and, and talk to them about what I can pray for, what I can pray about. And every now and again, someone will say, well, there's plenty to pray about, but one thing I don't want to pray for is patience. <laughs> I don't want to pray for that at all, because you learn very quickly. If you pray for patience, God might just give you opportunity to exercise it, and that is something none of us want to get good at, <laughs> uh, is exercising patience. In fact, patience is one of those things that uh, you know we're not into at all. Like We can, we know, if we want something, we can go to Amazon, we can get it next day, ship in, be here tomorrow. In fact, we've gotten so impatient that they even deliver on Sundays now. Like That's just, we are an impatient, impatient people. If uh, um, if we uh, know that uh, we are going to a restaurant and they are understaffed, we know, oh, we have to be patient. <laughs> and uh, that, can, that can create issues for us unless we know sometimes ahead of time. If we know ahead of time to be patient, that's a little bit okay. It's when you don't know and someone says, be patient, you're like, oh, really? Really? Like, I have to put up with this and you want me to be patient? Uh, but if they tell you ahead of time, it can be a little bit better. So, for instance... Uh, my, sometimes when uh, Jen's not with us, I'm just out with the boys, we would sometimes go out to eat. And our go-to place was always IHOP. We'd go there. It's easy. You can get some bacon. You can get all the pancakes you want. I can get unlimited Mountain Dew. The bar is low, and they meet it every time. <laughs> and so we would go there, and, uh, and it'd just be an enjoyable thing. But one day, I remember Alex and I, we were out, and uh, we were out. It was just a couple months after... Uh, after everything opened up again, and after everything was shut down uh, in, two, in 2020. So everything had just opened up again, and Alex and I are out, and, I, and it was just the two of us, and it was lunch. I said, hey, why don't we, why don't we stop at this IHOP here, and, and we can get some, get some food. And he says, okay. And so we go in, and as soon as we get in, there's a little bit of a line, and there's a lady there who, who says, I need to warn you, it's going to take a while, there's only a couple of us here. <laughs> and I said, Oh, okay. And I thought to myself, well, I think that's the story with a lot of restaurants right now, so uh, we'll wait. And sure enough, I found out the lady greeting us was the lady taking orders and the lady bringing the food out and the lady taking the checks. And like she was doing everything outside the kitchen and there was only one other person in the kitchen. And so as you can imagine, we had to be patient. But for whatever reason that day, Alex and I were fine. 
We were told up front, hey, this is the situation. And it was okay, and everything was fine, everything was great. But it has left a mark. Now, anytime I say to Alex, hey, you want to go to IHOP? He's like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. Not at all. I'm on food a little bit faster now. So so patience is one of those things that sometimes comes great, but but we don't want unless unless we need to. So uh, James says to uh, the church, be patient. And it's one of those, though, that they understand the situation. So he's not just, you know, surprising them with this. They, they know what's happening. And the verses before that we kind of skipped in James chapter 5, James is, puts out a warning. He puts out a warning to those who have, who have a lot of money. He warns them about, uh, about oncoming judgment. He warns them about their practices that they engage in to get them to where they are. It's not so much that James hates people who have been successful, it's that he recognized that many of them have done so by taking advantage of others. And so he recognized and calls out those kinds of practices. He says, I can't believe you're taking advantage of your labor. You're not paying the wages. You're not doing the things you need to be doing. And God has an issue with that. And we face that all the time. Uh, in my first church, I knew a guy who was, who was often a, a contractor for people. And he said, man, I, I hate having to chase down so many people who say, eh, well, I'll pay someday. And then they wait months and months and months to do that. And it's like, it's like, he's like, I don't know why they just can't pay when the job's done. Like, that's how it should be. But, you know, if they can hold on to the resource a little bit longer, they can make that money work for them just a little bit longer. Or when someone hires someone just knowing, hey, they don't know what they're really worth. I can just pay them dirt cheap and it's going to be okay. Or tell them, oh, things are hard right now. Things are tough. I'll get you next paycheck. And then I'll get you next paycheck. And then when they quit and you hire someone new, you keep telling them next paycheck. And before long, you find that uh, you're just, they're just taking advantage of people. This is what James is calling out. Those who have made their money on taking advantage of others. He's like, there's something wrong here. And it's happening again and again. And then he says to the church, Verse 7, where we picked up, be patient, beloved, or be patient, brothers and sisters. These are the very ones who are being defrauded. These are the very ones who are saying, oh, uh, I don't know how to make ends meet. I don't know what's going to happen. This is what is happening to me. And he says, be patient. He gives them an example. He says, I want you to take a look at the farmer. Uh, The farmer who works and works and waits and waits. When I was first... um, learning what, it, what it's like to be a pastor and, and what goes into that. I was in college and I got to spend like nine weeks uh, kind of shadowing a pastor as a part of the education and, and we are uh, learning the ropes. And I got to meet some of the people there in uh, Indiana. In the Midwest, there's no shortage of farmers. And, uh, and so there was this guy in the church, just a wonderful joy, just, just, just a, a hilarious guy. He, he was the kind of guy who, I, when I met him, he was in his mid-60s. And he says, hey, Tim, i got to show you what I can do. And he takes this chair, and he puts it down on the floor, and everyone else in church goes, oh no, here we go again. And he bends over and does a full headstand, legs up in the air, on this chair. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, this guy's retirement age, and he's doing a headstand. Then he gets down, and and he does that. I'm like, that's insane. I can't believe he did that. Everyone else is rolling their eyes. Like, this guy was just full of joy. He just loved to, to make people laugh. And he says, you know where the most exciting place I ever did that was? I said, no, I have no clue. He says, 
on the Sea of Galilee on a boat. He like showed everybody. He's like, I stood on my head on the Sea of Galilee. And so he would say, he would say, Jesus walked on water. I stood on my head. And so like, <laughs> that was just, like, he was just a joy. He was just wonderful. But he was a farmer anyway. I got to get to my story. That was an aside. That was just, I just love that guy. Uh, but anyway, he, he ended up saying to me, he says, last year was such a dry, dry summer. It had gone four, five, six weeks without rain. Just, just incredibly, incredibly dry summer. And he ends up, t- and we were talking to him about the work of farming and that kind of thing. And he says to me, he says, if we would have had just one day, one day within that span of one good hard rain, he says, I would have made an extra million dollars that summer. And I, my eyes just got big. And in high school, I was like, whoa, a million dollars, that's a lot of extra money in your pocket. But that wasn't a million dollars that he just puts in his pocket. That's a million dollars he puts back into the farm. Uh, because as I, as I learned of, of the expenses of some of their, uh, their tools and their, uh, uh, their machines that they use for harvesting, I realized uh, those good years help offset these terrible, terrible years. But I learned also from him that the work of a farmer isn't just loaded in the spring, although spring is packed. I mean, sun up to sun down. They are, they are out there on the field uh, plowing and tilling and seeding and just getting things ready. But there was constant work throughout, even when things are, when things are just growing. They are, they're, they're mending fences. They are doing maintenance and repairs. They're taking care of their animals. They're making sure the uh, animals don't get into the, the crops. They, they are constantly, constantly working while they're waiting. And so when James says be patient and uses the farmer as an illustration, I can't help but think that patience isn't just, okay, we just kind of wait. We're just kind of sitting back right now. Patience is marked by work and involvement too, an expectation of what God is going to do. And patience is marked by prayer as well, prayer that knows God will provide, even if the yield isn't quite what we hoped for, but knowing that God is still going to provide enough for us and take care of us. And so this is the example James gives to a church who's saying, hey, things aren't working out the way that we had hoped. Things are harder right now. We're in this, in this time of wondering, okay, God went... When are you, you going to make things better? When do things get better? We're, we're waiting, we're waiting. And then he says to them, after this illustration, he says, strengthen your hearts. Be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Strengthen your hearts is a phrase that makes me think, James knows how hard it is for people who have said, I have struggled and I have struggled and I just can't make it. Hearts weaken when one mourns, when one realizes that things have not gone the way that they had hoped or anticipated. When one mourns, the the pain that happens in the heart feels like a black hole has kind of like set up residence in your chest and just sucks everything in. And the emptiness and weakness that that happens with that is is just all-encompassing and there's just no way out. Jesus speaks to a church who has been grievously wounded. They've seen the results of what happens when they work hard, but still, they they can't take care of their own families. They can't take care of their sick or their ill. They've been absolutely taken advantage of, and it affects everything about who they are. Uh, I've heard that, uh, we've heard the phrase, when, when someone is mourning, when someone is just absolutely devastated, their heart hurts that they, when, when they, lose someone and someone dies of what's called a broken heart. I've learned that that is not just a phrase that, to mention timing, but 
doctors have started to say it's actually a real thing because in that mourning, that feeling of emptiness, that hole, in many ways is the heart's blood pressure doing things, the, part, the heart's rhythms changing. The heart actually mourns. When, when James says to the church, strengthen your hearts, I think he's speaking to a people who said, man, I've been waiting and it hurts right now. I'm wondering, okay, God, when are you going to do something? And James is hoping and praying for them and saying, my desire is that through this, God will strengthen your heart. Through this, you will be able still to be able to see and to hope for and to experience something new, something hopeful. And so he says to a church that is struggling and is, and is working through things, he says, don't grumble with one another though. When we're weak and when we have those kind of moments, when things are hardest, that's when sometimes we take it out on those who are closest to us. When we, um, uh, when the blood sugar drops, <laughs> uh, who do we take it out on? Whoever is nearby not getting us food. We get what we call hangry. Toddlers, when they get upset around their parents, they get angry. Uh, I, would, I would find this out. Actually, it was funny that uh, Brenda and I were just talking about this this morning. actually had this written down as an illustration. Uh, parents would come by, and they'd pick up their child, and they'd be like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm sorry for what you must have to deal with. And I'd say, oh, no, it's not what you're dealing with. You see, they're doing, acting in front of you the way that they do because they feel safe around you. <laughs> they know they're going to love you. So they've been working so hard at, at being who they're supposed to be and acting how they're supposed to be. And, and now they can just let it all out because they're safe around you. They know you're still going to love them. You're still going to tuck them into bed. Like, this is great. They, 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 they're, they're safe around you. And oftentimes it is those who are closest who feel the brunt when things go wrong. And so James says to them, he says to them, hey, um, try not to grumble against one another, to hold things against one another. Because what happens is if we let that become too much of a habit of constantly lashing out at those who are close and those who we love, then what happens is that starts to become a part of who we are. And that constant lashing out is no longer, oh, I know that this is a safe place for me to just let things go. It becomes a, eh, I, I just know that you, you can deal with this. And it becomes a, a broken relationship. And so James warns the church who is, who is trying to figure out how do we overcome the things that are not working for us. James reminds them of their love and their concern for one another and to lift each other up and not to tear each other down out of their despair. And so he speaks to a church and to a people who are in a season of waiting and in a season of expectation. And okay, God, why haven't you acted yet? What happens next? And he speaks to them about patience, that this is a season in which we know God is going to come and God is going to work. In fact, he says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord's coming is near. But yet, this is that season of expectation and waiting. It's one of the things that as much as we hate being patient, and I'm one chief among those. I don't like to be patient at all. But um, this season is, is helpful for me to remember that, okay, God, as, as we pray, as we yearn for you to have victory in areas of our life or for you to act in, in areas of, of families and friends, that, as we are yearning for this, to know that this is a season where we are practicing that uh, 
okay, God, some things, sometimes things don't happen in our timing, but they happen in yours. Uh, the, his last illustration is one of Job, and I want to tell you Job's story. I just want to make sure uh, we hear that. I think, uh, I, I just realized I haven't preached on him, I don't think, since I've been here. But let me just tell you Job's story. Job's story is this. He's got everything going for him. He's got everything going for him. His job's been successful. He's got, he's got money. He's got wealth. He's got uh, resources. He's got a family. Everything's going well. And, and, you know, and people are looking at him, and they're saying, man, Job's got everything going for him. And the only reason he's such a great follower of God is because everything's going for him. If things were difficult, mm-mm, he'd turn away from God. I know it. I know he would. And so there's, there's an accuser saying this. The Hebrew word for accuser is Satan. And so uh, Satan is saying, oh, God, if he didn't believe in you, or if he didn't have everything, he wouldn't believe in you. And as much as I, I've heard this story and looked at that story, just, just so you guys know, I think sometimes when I think, of, man, what is, who is this Satan in the book of Job? Sometimes I can't help but think, is it me? <laughs> Whenever I look at somebody else and say, oh, man, they've got it so easy. No wonder their life is X, Y, or Z. Or no wonder they're able to talk about the blessings of God. Everything went well for them. That is the Satan figure in Job who goes before God and says, eh, you take this away, his faith will come plummeting. And so, sure enough, what happens in this story is, is uh, everything starts to fall apart. Everything starts, he starts to lose everything. Um, illness befalls all his um, livestock. Everything's breaking down. Everything's falling apart. His children get sick as well, pass away. Worst kind of scenario. His wife, who often gets a bad rap, says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? And I think she gets a bad rap because a lot of times people are saying, oh, she's telling him, look, this is the it, turn away from God. And of course, we shouldn't turn away from God. But I don't think that's the case at all. I think she still absolutely believes in God. I think she believes in God so much, she looks at Job and how absolutely tormented he is, how he's absolutely feeling that black hole in his body, and he's just like, he's absolutely devastated by losing everything he's worked for, losing his children, everything. I think his wife looks at him and has pity on him and says, you know, if you curse God, you can escape all this misery. It's, it's, it's suggested suicide. And of course, Job doesn't. And, uh, and his wife will later on pass away. He's in, this, he's in this moment of just absolute agony and misery. And he's got some friends who come along beside him, and they're going to try to work his way through this. And his friends have all the, um, all the kind of uh, uh, trope responses that uh, our friends always do. <laughs> and, uh, and so they're going to say things to him like, you know, if, if you had it messed up here, God wouldn't have had to take vengeance on you, or you must have messed up somehow for God to have done this to you. And, oh, you know what? If you just do this now, then uh, maybe God will have mercy on you. And they have all these kind of just kind of trite responses. And Job throughout this book is saying, no, that's not the case. I was faithful to God, and now I've entered into this time, and, and, and I know I still have to be faithful, but, but I didn't turn away from him. And there's this, and there's this weird kind of back and forth that as you go through the book, you start to realize what the author is inviting us to wrestle with is the idea of every season has a purpose, every season has a divine plan, and maybe sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes what, what, what we are dealing with doesn't make sense at all. 
And the, and the real question is, in the midst of when things aren't making sense, and it doesn't make sense that a loving God would do something like that, and we try to figure out, really the question is, are we going to continue to be faithful? And so you find the book of Job is constantly wrestling with that thought of how do you hope and be patient when things aren't going well. As the book progresses and as the book comes to an end, the book of Job has this man, uh, uh, a lot of his uh, resources get restored to him. He finds himself also having another family, and while this doesn't negate or, or make up for what he's lost, there is a sense of kind of some kind of restoration in Job's life, a kind of God led him through all of that. And so when James says, just as the prophets spoke, and here, let me tell you about this story of Job, he says to the church, hey, sometimes we're in a season that doesn't make any sense. And we're going, okay, God, you were faithful before, and now I'm in this spot where I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting. And Advent season is the time reminding us, hey, sometimes this is indeed a season of waiting. But the story of Job is one that shows that the promise of God's deliverance The continuity of God's provision is always there. And our faith in God, by His grace, can continue in all of that, even even when things have fallen apart. So James says to a church that is struggling, uh, says to a church that is lashing out at those around them because things have gotten hard, he says, be patient, wait, This is just a season. This is just a time. But the Lord's arrival is still on its way. It's still at hand. And so Christmas is one of those kind of celebrations that we have. It is a celebration of a past event. When we sing about the angels who came and announced Jesus coming to the earth and and how a Savior was born, and we celebrate that historical reality. But it is also a celebration of the future It is a celebration of the return of Christ and the removal of all evil and sin from our world. And recognizing, as we do leading up to remembering that historical moment, we recognize that we are living in that not yet moment. Christ hasn't fully returned to remove the world of evil and sin. And so we kind of live in that moment where we hear the words of James, who says, be patient, God's not done, and where you see everything wrong, God will address that as well. But know in that, God is still with you today, and we can help one another along in this. I want to pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, passages like this that uh, sometimes just just say what uh, perhaps we know and perhaps what we're just going through. Okay. Okay, patience it is today. They just recognize that sometimes life is this this period of of waiting, of expectation. But Heavenly Father, I'm fully convinced that uh, just like the farmer who waits for the yield of the crop, this isn't a passive game. This isn't us just sitting back and saying, Okay, God, when do things happen? But Heavenly Father, you have called us to actively engage in, in your mission, your love, your grace to live out the hope that we are expecting. And so, Heavenly Father, today I pray that uh, 
you would be with each and every one of us. That you would help us in every engagement that we have to, uh, to live faithfully the way you have called, to live justly. And Heavenly Father, to be a source of inspiration and encouragement and love and grace. Thank you again for um, this time to honor you. And Heavenly Father, I pray that in this season and this week, that despite uh, expectation and despite the waiting that we might even find, that because of your faithfulness, because of your promise, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, that we might even find that there is opportunity for joy, for enthusiastic hope, because of what you are going to do and what you have just begun in each and every one of us. Thank you again, Lord, for your salvation, your grace, and your continued work in our life. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God richly bless you as you serve him today.